0: We're going to take a a little bit less traditional approach uh, to Palm Sunday. Uh, This Sunday you might be thinking, I I I thought we were supposed to be looking at uh, Jesus' uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the palm branches uh, riding on a donkey, and here we are in Isaiah 53 uh, it's maybe not what you would expect, uh, less than uh, traditional, and yet I hope uh, the same uh, conclusions can be drawn uh, that uh, Jesus' atonement this Holy Week, uh, what we're about to celebrate in Easter, is absolutely not what we expected. Isn't that true of the Gospel? Isn't that true of the Scriptures as a whole, there's an element uh, to redemptive history where we didn't expect the King of Israel, the Lord of Israel, to ride into Jerusalem to save His people on a donkey. We didn't expect uh, the the Creator and the Savior and the Lord of the world to, to die on a cross. And so you've heard this numerous times. There's many aspects to the gospel. There's many aspects to redemptive history that seem somewhat upside down. And we're going to look at another one of those this morning. We've been studying relationships this spring. And so Sam and I thought, what, what better way uh, to uh, begin the Holy Week, what better way to enter uh, the Holy Week than to take a deeper look into the relationship that defines and marks and even instructs all our other uh, relationships. Uh, For Jesus to ascend to the throne, uh, for us to be able to celebrate Easter, uh, for us to be able to rejoice in the resurrection, something has to come first, doesn't it? Uh, A crucifixion and a life of uh, suffering and uh, relationships that are restored with our Heavenly Father and are restored and being restored with, with each other, but that comes at an enormous uh, cost, an enormous price um, that in the South we're relatively familiar with. You know, most of us can probably say, I'm a Christian because I know Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Most of us can say that. And yet, the reality of the gospel is, yes, the culmination of the cross is absolutely vital and important, but there's so much more to Jesus' atonement as well. And so we're going to take a big picture look at Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday. And the picture that we're going to take a look at is Isaiah 53, which is Jesus Suffering on our behalf to restore our relationship uh, with the Father and with others. So, uh, let's read God's Word together. Um, hard, I, I understand that. It's, it's, not, your, uh, it's not your touchy-feely um, type of passage, and it's not a pretty picture. It's something, certainly, that we could not bear the weight of the suffering that Jesus endures on our behalf. Isaiah chapter 53, this is the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we would look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and He was afflicted, and yet He opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off, cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people." because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I can't imagine hearing this as... One of Isaiah's what what it would mean and who it would be and what in the world are we even talking about? And yet, the beauty of the New Testament is that we see Jesus written in the prophecies of the Old Testament. This was your plan all along, God, uh, that you would pour out your wrath against sin, not on two goats, uh, but on the greater goat, uh, your son Jesus. Would you help us, Lord, to understand, maybe even to feel, um, what the experience of atonement was for Jesus this morning? Certainly, we want to rush toward Easter and we want to be able to celebrate the resurrection, but my goodness, there was a great cost that it cost you, Heavenly Father, and that it cost you, Jesus, to make the resurrection even possible. Would you help us to see that and impress it on our hearts and use it to change us uh, this morning? We ask uh, these things and. Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at Isaiah 53 in two ways this morning. Uh, One is, the first is uh, the experience of the atonement, the the payment, the penalty, uh, the substitution uh, that Jesus makes on our behalf for our sin, the experience of the atonement. And then two, why is it so important um, why is the atonement uh, so important? First, uh, we have to realize there's this difficult beauty here in Isaiah 53, and as we've kind of said throughout um, redemptive history, uh, in order for God to be able to relate with His creation, there has to be atonement. Uh, there has to be uh, payment for sin. That's the, the only way that's going to happen is through death or through uh, a substitute for the one who uh, should die. And you see, we see, this, we see this all throughout, from the very beginning. From the very beginning, uh, Moses shows up uh, to redeem his people from Exodus, and uh, the plagues are coming forth, and what does Moses tell God's people? Uh, God's going to redeem you, but it's going to be really bad for Egypt. And the way you're going to be protected from that is what? You put the blood, the sacrificial blood of a lamb on the doorpost and the spirit of the Lord will pass over, right? You see it there. You see it in our Old Testament reading this morning, God prescribing and setting up an institution by which sin will be atoned for. And yet you still get the sense that, man, is this enough? Is this enough? I mean, you, you put yourself in that scenario of a Levit- Leviticus where uh, you go about your life and then once a year you come to the temple and you see these goats and you see the high priest putting his hands on these goats and you think, I'm a big sinner. Is this enough to atone for death and then we see obviously as we move forward through the New Testament uh, Jesus fulfilling all of these prophecies he is going to be the Messiah but Isaiah tells us he's going to be a Messiah that you don't expect he's going to be different from uh, that which you expect in a Messiah he's going to be a a suffering servant, and so here's what's so difficult and beautiful about this chapter is that we see uh, the, we see the genuine cost, the genuine price of atoning for humanity's sin in order to return them to right relationship with the father. A crown of thorns, yes, nails and a and, and, and spear. Yes, a cross, yes, but that's the culmination of the atonement. That's, that's the fulfillment of the atonement. That doesn't necessarily take into account what Isaiah describes for us here that absolutely was a part of the atonement for our sin, which is a life of suffering for Jesus. We're well-versed in the cross language but we may not be as well versed in the suffering uh, that Jesus lived under to atone for our sins. And so the question is to what degree? And that's what I want us to look at uh, this morning. We're just going to quickly walk through uh, what Isaiah tells us here to try to, to try to understand, to try to experience what it was like for Jesus to atone for our sins and then hopefully see why it's so important. Let's look at verses two and three. You notice, Isaiah starts this chapter in a somewhat of a peculiar way by telling us basically that Jesus was ugly. He was unattractive. And this is why you have to be so careful in these image that, images that we conjure up in our mind and that we have plastered everywhere. This is why you have to be careful with those images, because they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. The earliest writers that we have in redemptive history describe Jesus in this way. Tertullian in the 2nd century described Jesus as disfigured, unhandsome, and short of stature. Andreas in the 4th century quoting Josephus who was before him, listen to this, described Jesus as dark-skinned, hunchbacked, with a big nose and a grotesque unibrow. That's not something that we would be attracted to today that's not the pictures uh, that we see you see from birth to death Jesus wasn't desirable and that's what Isaiah wants you to see you know what it's you know what it's like maybe some of our teenagers our youngest kids and maybe maybe even you adults you remember what it's like to feel it doesn't necessarily mean that it's true but you remember what it's like to feel undesirable it's awful. It's a terrible feeling to not be desired. Verse 3 continues, Isaiah continues, he was despised and rejected. Most of Jesus' life was characterized by being dismissed and mocked and people withdrawing from him. You've experienced some of that, haven't you? When people mock, mock you, or when they withdraw from you, or when they don't really want to have anything to do with you, that feels awful. Isaiah continues, He's a man of sorrows, acquainted uh, with grief. This doesn't mean that Jesus was uh, incessantly sorrowful or sick, or that His countenance was just one of uh, suffering, but more so that He took our sorrows and our weaknesses on himself now that's a difficult concept for us to imagine because we try to do that sometimes we hate to see family members suffer and loved ones suffer and we try as, as much as we can to take some of that burden on ourselves. that's certainly biblical that's a biblical concept but the best doctor in this room it can't take cancer out of his patient and put it in his own body to take that suffering just like we can't bear fully that weight of another person suffering, and yet Isaiah wants us to know Jesus took our sorrows and our weaknesses, and He made them His. They became His. Verse 3, again, we've experienced this, and it And and this is the kind of stuff that will undo you for weeks and months and years, if not a lifetime. When you are in a public place, and you know that someone is intentionally avoiding you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before. I certainly have, where you're walking down the aisle of Walmart, and you see someone dip around the corner with this kind of thing right here? And, you, and, you, and all of a sudden, that moment you realize, I, I think that was such and such. How does that feel? When people hide their faces from you and they despise you and they don't even esteem you worth speaking to, much less looking at. It's the ultimate avoidance. One commentator said it this way When all that the human eye saw and the human mind apprehended regarding Jesus was added up, the result was zero. Valueless. Verse 4, he bore our grief and carried our sorrows, literally taking weakness and sickness and failures and making uh, them his own. He was, verse 4, stricken and smitten and afflicted. These words carry with them the idea of the humiliation of leprosy. Cast out. Don't come anywhere near uh, this person. He was pierced and crushed, literally fatally struck And the Word is actually trampled unto death for our sins and our transgressions. Verse 6 is enough to undo any of us. That the Lord would lay on Him the iniquities of us all. If we just set Chad Scott aside and said, All right, we're going to try to find somebody to pay for Chad Scott's iniquities, th- that would even be too much. But n- then you start to look around this room and see how many faces are here. And you're like, You realize that all the arrows of all our sin, all of our sin, were pointed at him. You begin to feel. How overwhelming this is. Verse 7 and 8, He was oppressed and afflicted and judged, physically brutalized and harshly arrested without without restraint and all willingly, all submissively. If someone brutalized you or one of your family members, I don't think you'd take it submissively. (laughs) And I don't think you would willfully let it happen. Verse 8, he was cut off and stricken. You can hear the overtones of Leviticus. He was sent out, sent away, out of the land of the living. Verse 9 through 11, he was buried with the wicked. He was considered one of those, crushed and put to grief and anguished. It's heavy. Let me see if I can use an illustration to kind of help you understand why it's important for us to try to experience this atonement. It's not, it's not for guilt. I, it's, I want you to understand that right out of the gate. The point is not that you feel guilty or that you feel shame. Jesus paid for all that already. Okay? But more so, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Uh, Sam reminded me this week, we were talking about... Um, Just this passage, the atonement. Uh, Sam reminded me uh, this week that um, in addiction recovery and in addiction therapy and counselors and people like um, that, one of the processes of that healing from an addiction is uh, the process of going to loved ones, going to family members, going to friends, and uh, working through uh, this experience. Asking this question What did my addiction cost you? What, what price did you have to pay for my addiction? Why? Why, why is it that we have to ask that question? Because when we're cons- and listen, I'm not just talking about the person that's addicted to the things that we think of when I when we say, listen, every one of us has probably been addicted to food. We've been addicted to screens. We've been addicted to social media. We've been add- I mean, there's not a person in here that's not addicted. But why is it that we can't see in our addiction? what it cost another person because we're so consumed we've got to have it to sa- have that need satisfied and what Isaiah wants us to see is through this passage he wants us to be able to ask the question to Jesus Jesus what did it cost you for my addiction it cost you death on a cross certainly but it cost you a lot more than that, let's come at it from another angle. Uh, one of the ways, as um, Sam, as we talked about last week, last week forgiveness um, and resentment in relationships. One of the ways that it is most easy to forgive someone and it's most easy uh, to feel real genuine healing in forgiveness and in relationship is when a person, not not, they come and say the words, hey, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? You remember that from last week. I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? But the place where there's real relational healing and restoration is when that person comes and says, hey, I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? I can only imagine that my sin made you feel... Right? Why? Why does that go a step further? Because we're entering into the cost and the price, and the pain, and the suffering of the person that we have injured. And so there's a real element to Isaiah 53, where we can come and say to Jesus, I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? I can only imagine that my sin cost you this. Listen, I know this is difficult, and I know it's hard to fathom, and I know atoning for sin, it, it, it didn't just cost Jesus His life on the cross, it cost Him a lifetime of suffering and to become our uh, substitute. But the more we see the weight of that, the more... Jesus atoning life and death and love and grace and mercy begins to change us and begins to explode in our lives. That's the reality. It, it makes when you if you read Isaiah chapter 53 with Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 it makes all the sense in the world because Jesus says come to me all who weary all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest how Isaiah 53 take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It begins to make sense because Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take your burden and here's mine. That's what the atonement means. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to see. It's hard to experience, but that's the harsh reality and the harsh beauty of what we see in the gospel and what Isaiah wants us to see. Here in chapter 53. Okay, so why is it so important? If that's the experience. If that's what Jesus endured. Not just the cross. Certainly the cross. But if he endured a lifetime of suffering. To atone for our sins. Why is it so important? Well, I may be overstating the obvious here. And if that's the case and you already know all this. Then you can... Uh, thank the Lord that He's already placed it on your heart. Uh, otherwise, four things sin really is this enormous. You see, and I, I don't, I may, I, maybe I should be careful here because I don't want to lump you in with myself. <laughs> but I have this really good ability to be really dismissive of sin, especially when it's my own. I'm not so dismissive with your sin. If you sin against me, it's kind of hard for me to be dismissive of it. But when it's my own, it's pretty easy for me to not see the enormity that Isaiah describes and that Jesus experienced. It's dramatic and it's traumatic. And it requires an enormous uh, Savior. And I think we struggle to see that. Uh, I I had a professor... At uh, one time that, that told me he said, "Imagine uh, that uh, your sin was equivalent to the Grand Canyon, and in some respects, probably so." What would it take for the Grand Canyon to be made smooth? What would it take to fill up the depths and to make smooth the expanse and to to make all the rough edges, the sharp edges be smooth again? What would that cost? What would that take? You see, sin is enormous and it requires enormous sacrifice to Jesus. Enormous suffering. The worst life and death for me and you. And yet, here's the reality of grace. For as enormous as sin is, Jesus wanted it. He wanted to suffer that much for you and me. So as enormous as sin is, grace is all the more enormous. Because He wanted to take on that suffering so that you and I could know relationship with the Heavenly Father. If that doesn't make grace lovely and appealing especially in the 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 light of our enormous sin man second sin is really enormous but jesus isn't just content to forgive us of our sin see we even in our good old southern uh, Christian heritage, we, we, again, we've already talked about it. we're well-versed in I'm a Christian because Jesus uh, loves me and He died for my sin. But that's not all He died for. He didn't just die to forgive us of our sin. Jesus died to forgive us of our sin and to make us new, to make us whole, To make us righteous. And when we come to repair and restoration and healing, that requires bearing damage. And the effects of sin and all of its twistedness. Atonement and redemption and transformation all require weight bearing of defects in order for those defects to be Uh, made new. I wish we had time to explore more of what Sam uh, was talking about in the author of Hebrews, and maybe you could do that this afternoon. Uh, You could go and read through the book of Hebrews and see the parallels uh, that Isaiah draws with the author of Hebrews, because what he's going to say is that Jesus, the suffering servant in Isaiah, is absolutely the Savior in the book of Hebrews, and he's going to pay the penalty and he's going to redeem us and not just for that purpose but also to make us new jesus isn't just content to forgive us Uh, the third jesus desire is that we never be alone in the fight against sin that's what uh, Isaiah 53 teaches us. That's what the gospel teaches us. This great cost in atoning for our sin highlights that there's nothing that we experience that Jesus didn't also experience. That's right out of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is worthy to serve as our great high priest because he's been tempted and tried in every, every way that we are and yet without sin. Uh, Our sin makes us, I'm about to make up a word here, so (laughs) Pam Reed's not here to get on to me afterwards, so it's okay. I hope she doesn't listen to this because then she's going to hear I called her name out in the middle. Our sin makes us unwantable. Our sin makes us unwantable before God and before others. Mother Teresa said it uh, this way, the greatest pain in life is not grief or wounds or starvation. It's being unwanted. The reason the atonement is so weighty and so necessary is because Jesus wants to take our unwantedness so that we become wantable. And when Jesus is forsaken by his Father, he becomes unwantable for us so that he can give us his Holy Spirit that loves us so much and wants to help us fight against sin. So the atonement is important because sin really is that big. And Jesus isn't content to forgive us. And Jesus' desire is that we not be alone in the fight against sin. And lastly, Jesus wants us to be able to hope in the midst of our own suffering. Jesus wants us to be able to hope in the midst of our own suffering. How do you respond? I mean, you put yourself into Isaiah chapter 53. How would you respond? Rejected, avoided, filled with sorrow and pain, crushed chastised wounded oppressed judged we if we experience even one of those this next week it has the potential to do what to us if you feel like somebody judges you on the way out of this church what's it going to do to you and how are you going to respond you see our natural response to suffering is one of three things There's there's probably more, but these are the three that I thought of. To fight fire with fire. to, uh, To avoid into the oblivion of resentment. Or to cope. How do you deal with suffering? Do you fight suffering with suffering? Someone inflicts you with some suffering, do you... Inflict back? Do you avoid and just stew inside? You see what happens uh, when, when we um, fight fire with fire? It makes you feel good in the moment, but it doesn't smell like Jesus at all, does it? And making another suffer because you suffer may do something for your pride and your emotions, but it won't take away your suffering. And we're good at this. We're really good at it. If we're not good at it outwardly, we're certainly good at it internally. When we avoid our suffering, when we dodge our suffering, we just become miserable, angry, hateful, toxic people. When we, uh, when we uh, cope, when we employ coping mechanisms to deal uh, with our suffering, Uh, When we pursue other things, it just distracts us and deters us uh, from reality. When we pursue other means to deal with our suffering, we're we're in essence saying that Jesus suffered for no reason. That's a harsh reality. If Jesus suffered, and this is the reality of the Gospel, the reality of the joy of grace. If Jesus suffered to bring hope and healing, then we can turn to Him. And what does it say that we run to other things? The difficulty and the beauty of Isaiah 53 and the Gospel is that we don't have to run to other things. Because it may seem to help, but it really has no lasting value. Here's the reality. The suffering we face won't crush us. Why? Because Jesus was crushed. On our behalf. So when we suffer, we can lean into His hope and His promises until we see His purpose. Some of you have experienced that well. You've suffered in really hard ways that are unimaginable to most of us. And the reality is Jesus has a purpose. And here is that purpose. If God the Father can make good come of Isaiah chapter 53, if God the Father can make good come of a cross, If God the Father can make good come of all of these things, then He can make good come of your suffering too. It doesn't feel good always in the moment. But it doesn't mean that good is not uh, coming. The assurance and the guarantee of good that will come out of our suffering is why I hope you'll come back next week. The hope of the resurrection. The joy of Jesus being alive. That's the celebration. That's the celebration and the guarantee and the hope and the assurance that good is coming. It, all the more when we experience good now, the reason for us to rejoice and sing praise, even the good of just being able to worship together. Uh, With even with masks and things like that on, let's pray, Father. It's I don't know. You you know this far well, uh, far more than we do. Um, it's it's become somewhat. I don't know what the word is, it's, it's not a good practice to talk about sin, and especially to talk about sin uh, that resides within us in our culture today. Uh, and yet, Father, the beauty of your Scriptures, the, the, the difficulty of your Scriptures is that you want us to deal with our sin because you want us to be able to feel loved and experience grace and mercy by your Savior. And Father, we ask that you would help us to do that this morning. Jesus, thank you that you experienced hell so that we don't have to. Thank you, Jesus, so that you experience suffering so that our suffering, as hard as it is, it, it won't crush us. Death can't even crush us because of you, King Jesus. We worship you for that this morning. Thank you that in your suffering, you enabled us to feel and to experience and to know and to be assured that You love us and that You will never leave us. Thank You, King Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.